Well, all right, as you turn back to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, I remember many years ago, there's going to come a day and I probably won't be able to say that, but uh, back in Bible college, in one of the classes there, one of our professors, Reverend Mangus, he said the first thing he does when he gets out of bed, he places his Bible on the floor, sitting on his bed, he puts his seat on the on the Bible, he said, I'm standing on the Word. And I'm going to stand on it. Not just that, but he's going to stand on the Word of God all day long. All right. Part two of the weapons of a warfare. Part two. Our key verses have been verses three and four. And, and we're using this two-part introduction to move into the message actually is in the bulletin today, which is uh, our armory or God's armory which we'll find in Jeremiah chapter 50 and verse 25, which we will basically just touch on a, a, a smidgen here. But I want us to realize that as believers, that God has given us everything, everything that we need to succeed in our Christian life. So we can never fault God and say, God, you didn't provide this, you didn't provide that, because he has provided everything for our success. So in, in last week's message, the weapons of our warfare, we were laying down the foundation for our ultimate goal of Jeremiah chapter 15, verse 25, where we read, The Lord hath opened his armory and hath brought forth the weapons of his indignation, for this is the work of the Lord, our, the Lord God of hosts in the land of the Chaldeans. Now that was at a time when you get to Jeremiah chapter 50 that the Chaldeans or the Babylonians were rattling their sabers. And Israel had not responded to Jeremiah and a few of the other minor prophets, let alone, uh, I'm sorry, Isaiah, let alone uh, Jeremiah, and certainly not even Ezekiel. And God was warning them, saying, listen, I have an armory. And uh, that's something that every good soldier uh, needs to be aware of, is that there's an armory. And uh, what, what, what's in an armory? Well, have you ever driven through some of these older towns and, and you'll see, like, when you, when, on the way down to uh, PA, you, you're going down through um, uh, Whitehall, down through there, on the one corner of the intersection there, is, there's a big brick building there and it says an armory. And you see military vehicles there, inside's a meeting place for the soldiers, and inside there, I'm sure there's all kinds of ammo, all kinds of other good stuff down there that they may need in any kind of an emergency and equipment that is, that is there. So I want you to know that uh, there is no excuse, there is no reason, no justification whatsoever for you and I to be a failure. If we fail, it's because we have chosen to do so. So, from last week's message, we determined from the scriptures that God did not save us to be losers. Rather, we were born again to be winners, who are to be victorious in our daily walk as the redeemed of the Lord. Our battle is not with the flesh. Or, to be precise, the battle or issues that we face in a fallen world can never, ever be overcome by the exercise of our flesh. You can make all the New Year resolutions you want to make, but they're usually made in the flesh. How many of you get beyond the first week? How many have been dieting now for the last X number of years? And you promise that on the 1st of January, this is the year I'm going to go on this diet, and, 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 and then someone passes that chocolate, chocolate ice cream in front of you. And so we've got to face some facts, and that is that there is no solution to the Christian life to be found in the flesh. None. 
Because at the very foundation of every issue, of every problem, of every difficulty we face, there is a spiritual dynamic at work. Now, I don't know if you think of yourselves when you wake up on a Sunday morning and say, I'm a spiritual being, therefore I'm going to go to church. <laughs> right? But Monday comes around and what, what happens? You're still the same spiritual being that you were on Sunday. So no matter where you go, no matter what you do, you are a spiritual being. And so the day that uh, God gave Adam two choices in the Garden of Eden, the battle for the mind was on. Either believe God and do what is right and righteous or choose to go the way of disobedience and pay the price. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 17 says, But of the tree of the knowledge uh, of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that ye eat thou shalt surely die. Not might die, not could die, but will die. And God has always meant what God says. He means what he says, he says what he means. And so one prohibition, I want you to understand that, one prohibition, because we hear all the time, if I just lived in a different environment, if I had different parents, if I had a different job, if I lived in a different location, we have all these excuses why we can't live for the Lord or why life could not be better if all these things that I felt were necessary to come. But listen, God put them in a garden. And they had liberty to eat of any tree in the garden except for the one. Now, what, was, what, what fruit was on there, I'm not going to try to guess. It's irrelevant. What is relevant, they were given a choice. To either obey God or disobey God. Now, it had never entered their mind to disobey God until, guess what? Until Satan came along. Satan came along and there was the battle for the mind. Am I going to obey God or am I going to do my own thing? Am I going to listen to God or am I going to listen to Satan who called God a liar? Well, you would think that someone who was powerful enough, intelligent enough to create human beings and all that existed, that you'd listen to him and not to the serpent or Satan, if you will. So in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 16, we find that, that there's one prohibition among a garden with liberal provisions. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. I mean, you could eat it until you ate yourself to death. You could pig out, you could eat as whatever you want, whatever you want, as often as you wanted to eat. And so here in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 3, the scripture reads, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. It gives you and I the reality of the weakness of our flesh. So in verse 4, we find what will work and what will not work when it comes to the flesh. Verse 4 simply says, For the weapons of our warfare are not what? Carnal. But mighty through God to the building, or to the pulling down of strongholds, rather, and so there is the what works and what doesn't work. The weapons that we need to make right choices come only from God. Our wisdom pales in comparison. How many times have you been able to look back up your life and you reason that a certain thing would be okay or a certain thing would be nice or a certain thing would be fine? 
only to find out that it wasn't and to remind yourself that, you know, I hadn't prayed about this. I hadn't really sought God's direction on this and so on. And so our flesh will lead us to make wrong choices, wrong decisions about life. That's what it says there in chapter four, and ver, uh, chapter 10 and verse 4a. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God. And so God doesn't want us to experience a vacuum. God wants us to use weapons that he has provided for us to use. And he has given us ample weapons to deal with Satan at every turn. The battleground is our mind. In the Garden of Eden, this is exactly what Satan was after. He was after the mind of Adam, and he got Eve's mind, and he used Eve, he enlisted Eve to get to Adam's mind. So Satan won a victory, but it was a mental victory that he had won that caused them to surrender their flesh to their desires. And so the battleground is, is, is our mind, and in the Garden of Eden, this is exactly what happened. And so that was Satan's strategy from the day that he rebelled against God. So if you, do, if you are not saved, and you've heard the gospel, and are still unresponsive, Satan has control of your life. Right. You, are not, you, you, you think you, you control your own life. But yeah, he will give you the latitude as long as you're not moving in a righteous direction. As long as you... Stay away from all things God, Bible, church, prayer, scripture reading, sharing the gospel, and any of those things there. He's okay with you the way you are. He's looking at you and saying, no change needed. God looks at us and says, oh, you talk about change that's needed. Yeah, but I've been saved for five years. Yeah, well, we still need change, don't we? Along the way. Because we will n- never cease to grow spiritually until... 1 Corinthians chapter 15 has taken place. And this mortal puts on immortality and this corruptible puts on incorruption. And so, you need to understand that when you and I were unsaved, we were not in control. If you're unsaved, you do not know Jesus Christ. You have not come to a saving faith in the person Jesus Christ. Then you are not your own. You belong to him. When Christ died on the cross, he made it possible for you and I to be purchased from the family of God, of family of Satan into the family of God. And so unless you are willing to tell Satan to take a hike, he will continue to influence you to make deadly choices and to seek bad information for your life. And you will make poor decisions along the way. Now I'm just saying, just saying, life couldn't have been any better for Adam and Eve talking and walking with God abundance of food, nothing to fear. Hey, you know what? They didn't have to worry about the dog bite. They didn't have to worry about any of those kind of things. That, you know, I, I don't think spiders were, spiders were, were scary. Snakes? I, I do not like snakes. And yet Adam and Eve had no problem talking with one. <laughs> but they had nothing, absolutely nothing to fear. No reason, no cause. And along came Satan. Along came Satan. Genesis chapter 3, very quickly here. Genesis chapter 3. And it says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said? It really is important that we get settled on the word of God. Know what it says. Meditate on it inculcated into your life, if you will, 
Because Satan knows if you don't get it right. And so he asked the question, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden. Always watch out for the butts. Always watch out for Always, almost all the time, following a butt is something seriously wrong. Somehow there's going to be an excess, you're going to come up with an exception to, to God's word. And the woman said, uh, uh, But of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God said, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it. Okay, she got that right. But she also says, Hey, listen, uh, neither shall ye touch it, unless ye die. He didn't say that. See, that's one of the problems with the new translations today. They're either adding something or they're taking something away. And so she added to it. And, and listen, listen, if, if, if Adam and Eve wanted to have play catch, they could have played catch with whatever the fruit on the tree was. If they wanted to see who could throw it the farthest, they could have done that. They could have held some kind of an Olympic. I don't know what they could have done. But God didn't say they couldn't touch it. But it would have been a wise thing not to touch it. Because of the weakness, or I should say, their untested flesh, their untested flesh at that time, and so we didn't quite finish last week. So we're going to finish it this week, hopefully, and uh, just a few, for, uh, a few short points, and perhaps introduce the ultimate goal of Jeremiah chapter fifty and verse twenty-five. So, from uh, point number one last week was the character of our warfare. Point two is the character of our flesh, folks. We've got to realize God has a better handle on our flesh than you and I do. He knows things about us that we don't and things that we know that we're not willing to admit. Pride's a terrible thing. But pride is a a powerful uh, problem with our our human flesh. And so as we look and expand on 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 3, the point here to remember is that our flesh does not possess the power to handle spiritual battles and there isn't a single area of our lives that doesn't involve some sort of, at some level, of spiritual conflict. Every day. Every single day. So the Apostle Paul makes an astounding statement when he says in Romans chapter 7 and verse 18, he says, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. Now, you may use your flesh to win a beauty pageant. (laughs) You may be able to uh, use your flesh to win a knockout, drag out beautiful woman. But that's about as far as it's going to go. So he goes on and he says, For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. Well, folks, that's why God gave us the word. That's why he gave us an infallibly preserved word. So that we can know that when we pick up the book and we read God's instructions, we know that they work that we have to apply ourselves as well as apply them to us. So the real answer, the, the real solution to the issues of life are never to be solved with carnal, fleshly, worldly thinking or reasoning. That's why the Apostle Paul said when he came to the Corinthians, he said, I did not come in the wisdom of the world. He came in the wisdom of God and in the knowledge of God. And so he concludes that knowing that It is how he once thought, and he did one time think after the flesh. But then on the Damascus Road, he came to a saving experience with a person person of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
And boy, did his thinking take a flip flop along the way. He went from being a man who felt that he was just in killing all these, these Christians, this sect called Christians who were following this individual called Christ and, and he, was, he was bringing them in, in, uh, tied up in ropes and in chains and, and imprisoning them and having them killed and sold into slavery. I mean, he, he was a rascal. He was a nasty individual. But he saw himself as being righteous. He saw himself as a man who was doing God's, God's business. But then he met Jesus. Just like Adam and Eve met, met Satan in the garden, the garden of Eden and it ruined their lives, Paul met Jesus Christ and it changed his life. Because that's the only way our lives will ever change is when we come to a saving faith in the person of Jesus Christ. Well, you can read about, about, uh, about Paul's conversion in Acts chapter 9, uh, verses 1 through 9, actually the whole chapter for the most part. But Paul now has access to the divine knowledge and the wisdom of God. Did you know that you have the same amount of, of access that he has to, to, to the same God and the same Lord and the same Holy Spirit? We have the same as he did. So what makes him the exception? His willingness to surrender fully. To give him lock stock, head to toe, heart to flesh. He gave it all to the Lord. Wherever it leads me, Lord, you take me. Whatever happens, Lord, you guide me. Because I'll tell you right now, I, I've known preachers who have quit, missionaries who have quit for lesser things what the Apostle Paul ever dealt with. And so, he was able to tap into godly wisdom and knowledge so that he can, in the power of God, pull down those strongholds. Now, strongholds are anything that exalts itself against God. Evolution is a stronghold of Satan and the unsaved. Of course, now we're switching over to aliens. They, 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 they couldn't justify and, and prove evolution because everything in evolution proved them wrong anyway. So now we're going to have to go, now we're chasing aliens. And so, that's a stronghold for some people now. People are looking for reasons not to believe that there's a God. They're looking for reasons not to read the Bible. They're looking for reasons not to go to church. They're looking for reasons to not get saved. And they're being told whether it's humanism or socialism or fascism or whatever you might want to call it, it's the idea that you can pull yourself up by your bootstraps. No, you can't. Now, you can pull your boots up, but you can't pull yourself up. It takes the power of God to change the human heart. And so... What a seriously, seriously sad day. I just lost my spot. Seriously sad day. It was when Adam and Eve allowed themselves to exalt their reasoning against the knowledge of God. See, God knew what was going to happen. He actually even knew that Adam and Eve were going to make the choice they made. Because before the foundation of the earth, God knew all things. Now, I don't get overwhelmed with predestination. But from the beginning of, of eternity past, God knew all of us before we were even conceived or born. And he gave to every one of us that choice. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so God told them exactly what would happen should they set his knowledge aside. 
In the day that ye eat thereof, ye shall surely. Did it happen? Oh, yeah, it did. First of all, they died spiritually. And then eventually in 900 some odd years, boy, aren't you glad you don't have to live 900 years? At 79, I'm getting tired of my body already. I'm ready, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go with the Lord. But nonetheless, um, in their time frame, of course, death did, was experienced when Cain rose up and slew his brother Abel. So it wasn't only their death, it was the, the death of the human race eventually over time. But the spiritual death was the most significant. They could no longer fellowship with God the same way that they had in the Garden of Eden. Could you imagine being in the Garden of Eden and hear God call to you out of the, and, and hear the voice of the, and you come out when we're, whatever tree you're under, whatever it is there, and you come out there and, and, just, and you meet with him and you talk with him and he talks with you and, and you have this fellowship with him. Wow. Someday we're going to have that. We can have it now uh, in our prayer time and have it in, in the reading of our scriptures. But listen, if you don't pray, then you're not having much of a conversation. And even in that conversation, sometimes you just need to sit down and shut up and let God speak. Give him a chance to talk. <laughs> Amen. Along the way. And so, as redeemed of the Lord, we need to realize that we are not immune. And therefore, we can never let our guard down. But rather, we need to be continually vigilant about where we are spiritually in our walk and our relationship with the Lord. Now, we know we never lose our salvation. But how many times have we walked through a week with unbroken fellowship when we shouldn't even want to go through a single day with unbroken fellowship, with broken fellowship? So who, who better to give this advice than Peter about being vigilant? Remember the warning that Jesus gave Peter early in the evening about, about how he would join the, the betrayals and uh, betray him that night? Not, not me, Lord. I got a sword. I'm going to fight. I'll die for you, Lord. Probably less than 12 hours. He was denying Jesus Christ. See, we're not immune. And if we're not careful, the flesh just creeps in and begins to take control. And so he writes in 1 Peter chapter 5, 8, Be sober. In other words, you know, think clearly. Think straightly. And the Word of God will help you to do that. So be sober. Be vigilant. Always aware of your surroundings. Aware of what you're thinking and what's going on around you so that you don't get caught up in it. And it says, because your adversary, listen, now you may be the nicest person, but you got an adversary. And he's not a flesh and blood adversary, he's a demon. He's a devil. And he wants your mind. And he wants your children's mind as well. So be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is as a roaring lion walking about, looking for opportunities, looking for a, a chance to drive that wedge in there, seeking whom he may devour. He wants to take your mind and, 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 and use it for his purposes. So who is our adversary? Satan, who is seeking to devour our minds. But we can't make people good. It's, it's not possible. I, we can share the gospel and only God can make people good. But we can't make people good. Our best hope is to restrain evil and that's why we have civil laws. Many of which come from the word of God. But there are always people, I mean, I live right up the road here on Route 15, and there are people who don't obey the speed limit. Somehow they think they're on 
the NASCAR route. And they, they open that thing up, and a lot of times it's these uh, um, Euro mufflers they've got put on those things. I, I, I remember what it was like to have glass packs on your car when you were a teenager and so on like that. But, I mean, these guys come up. They, they, they start from down. You can hear from right down here. And then they wind through all the gears they've got there. By the time they come outside, they're zooming. And the windows are out. I mean, to tell you, it's... And you're thinking to yourself, was I really that foolish when I was that young? <laughs> yeah, for the most part. But you know, that's why we have speed limits. You're supposed to obey those things. You're supposed to. Unless you're on a long distance and it says 65. I, I love Ohio. 70 miles an hour. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's... I mean, you used to be up here where it's 55 and 65, and it seemed like you're never going to get anywhere. But at 70, that's pretty cool. I like that. And uh, so our battle is with the devil, in which our flesh is, is too weak. Through the flesh, we can't defeat him. But a mind stayed on Christ is the winning solution. It's always the winning solution. It's the only solution, a mind that stayed on Christ. Lord, what would you have me to do? Lord, how would you have me to live? What decision would you have me to make here, Lord? And you know what? You may have to meditate. You may have to, uh, to, to, to pray about it for maybe a couple of days. And yet we stray. We wander in our reasoning and we wander in our thought life. Well, yeah, I think I got this thing all figured out. Listen, if, I, I know the Bible says I'm not to marry this individual, but listen, if, if I marry them, then I can witness to them full time. Uh, occasionally it happens, but most of the time it doesn't. Because someone gave the illustration, it, it's, it's like the saved individual standing on the floor and an unsaved person staying on, uh, or you being on the table rather, and an unsaved person being on the floor there and, and, and for you to try to pull that unsaved person up on the table where you are. They'll pull you down quicker than you'll pull them up. I've seen that happen so many times. I used to go to church. I used to this and I used to that. But somehow they thought they knew more than God. Folks, never allow yourselves to tell God to come to that place where you think you know more than God. Or that you see some things that God doesn't see because there's nothing that God doesn't see and there's nothing that God doesn't miss. And so we stray, we wander in our reasoning, wander in our thought life, making some of the most important decisions of our life without prayer, without meditation, without godly input, and wonder why our lives are so difficult where there's no genuine peace. Things aren't turning out as we thought or as we had planned or even had hoped for. Anytime you and I as a believer leave God out of the equation, things aren't going to go well. God only becomes a thought when we have exhausted all other avenues and we want instant relief from our grief. But only then. It's kind of what we call that, that uh, foxhole uh, conversion where you're in a battlefield and you've got grenades and bullets and bombs going off around you and you're in a foxhole hunkered down there and, and praying that nothing falls in the foxhole. God, you get me out of this mess and, and then you make, you make the promises of God that you never keep. And so Satan messed with the minds of Adam and Eve and he's going to do everything he can to mess with our minds as sure as we are sitting here this morning. But preacher, I'm, I'm here every Sunday. And, and I tithe and I read my Bible. You know, it doesn't take a whole lot for Satan to get in there and to turn you around. You can't assume that you'll be tomorrow as you are today. As you are today in your walk with God, you need to be that tomorrow. 
So Satan messed with the minds of Adam and Eve, and he is going to do it to you and I. Adam and Eve had two choices before them. Hear what the Lord had to say and live obediently. It was, it was not a multiple choice. You didn't get an A, B, and a C, and a D. Eat, you die of that one particular fruit or that tree. Listen to Satan as he berated God and disobey. Never, ever in your place as a child of God let anybody berate God. He is the one who gave his son. His son is the one who shed his blood, gave his life, so that you and I could be reconciled back to the Father. If they're going to berate God, you tell them, step right up and say, you know what, do not use my Lord's name in vain. And if they laugh and they scorn, I don't care if it's family or whatever it is, whatever the gathering is, you just walk away. Say, I'm sorry, but I cannot be a part of this. Uh, they may call you a few names. They may make fun of you. But what more or what less did they do to Jesus than that for you? So, which, would, which world would you, would, would you or I prefer to live in? In a world where obedience to God was the norm, or the world in which we now live, dysfunctional, spiritually dark and evil? Well, unfortunately, we're in a dark and evil world, a dysfunctional world. I'd love to have lived in the Garden of Eden, and I'd love that to have just expanded, would you? I'm looking forward to, to heaven. So we close with this. Yeah, we got so, the character of our weapons in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 14, which we've read. We have covered the truth that the battles we face, whether saved or unsaved, transcend any and all fleshly ideologies. The biggest problem the unsaved face is how to see through the veil of blindness. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4 says, In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. And sadly, I believe that some of that, besides the filth of the world, that many believers are caught up into blinding these individuals. Well, that's what they call a Christian. I don't want to be one. They claim to be a Christian, but they live just like me. We're not shining. We're not beacons of light. And so the biggest problem for the saved is their unwillingness to give their lives completely over to God, and to his word. You know, Paul calls such being Christians, I should say, he calls such Christians carnal. He called them carnal believers in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He said, you're carnal. Carnal believers because though they were saved, they continued to walk in life as they did prior to their salvation and even as the unsaved around them. Read the, read the seven churches in the book of Revelation. There's only, there's only two churches in there that God didn't give condemnation to. But the other ones he condemned because of the lethargy of their spirituality. They were allowing the world to come into their midst. It was in their, it was, it was beginning to take place in their lives, take place in their home, begin to take place in the church. And so don't think for a minute that that can't happen to you or to, or to, or to, uh, to myself. And so some had progressed and then slowly Gradually, they began to slip backwards, living life as though uh, they had prior to their salvation, going back to the same old things. So the Apostle Paul writes in the book of Hebrews, chapter 5 and verse 12. You can actually go and read the whole section here. It's really important. He says, for when for the time ye ought to be what? Teachers, ye have need that one teach you again 
which be the first principles and the oracles of God and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. How long have you been saved and how far have you progressed? Are you still longing for and desiring and craving and even walking in some of the things that you know that God would not be pleased with? So, we've got this, folks. I mean, we, we've got this, amen? If you're a child of God, you've got this. You don't have to live in defeat. You don't have to live a, medi- medi- a, me- a mediocre Christian life. You don't have to walk in mediocrity. And you don't have to walk around as a blithering idiot out there making a fool of yourself either. But you can walk in wisdom. The Lord Jesus Christ walked in wisdom. He walked in knowledge. And he wants us to know that we can have that same wisdom, that same knowledge, and we can walk as mature children of God, children of the King of Kings. So we can live a life that God has planned for us to live and find the joy of the Lord in whatever our circumstances we may find ourselves in. Our circumstances, I mentioned, I think it was last week, that it might have been Wednesday night too, I'm not sure. You know when you preach too much, you forget too much. <laughs> but, but, but the point was that when we find ourselves in our circumstances, it's not the circumstances that we should be asking God to change, but our attitude in the circumstances. Because many times that's what God is really after, is to change some attitude about us. And that we will tour, spiritually speaking, in that. And as we go through that, and our attitudes change, rather than, why me, God? This is not a good time, Lord. Well, you know, is there ever a good time? Well, God thinks there is. And so when God allows these things to come into our lives, we accept them and say, thank you, Lord. I'm going to be paying attention to what it is that you want to teach me. The things that you want to guide me towards. The attitudes, amen. So, the Lord willing, next week we will open the doors to God's armory. And we will see what's supernatural. And they are supernatural weapons that he has at his disposal for us to use against the enemy. Sin, Satan, and our flesh. Amen. Father, we thank you for this time that we can be together around the gathered around your word and Lord gathered through your spirit to guide and to direct us in the presentation. Lord, we just thank you for your infallibly preserved word. Lord, we, we thank you for the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And perhaps this is even a good time to say, uh, uh, ask for forgiveness for the times that we have failed and we have grieved and grieved the Holy Spirit who is with us day in and day out through our thought life and through the actions that our thought life may lead us to. But Lord, we do ask and pray that the messages of the last couple of weeks will have had uh, uh, the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit of God to bring about the kind of changes you want in our lives. Lord, many of us have lived the vast majority of our years that we're going to live. Lord, there's other young here this morning that, Lord, they have got many years ahead. Lord, the quality and the character and the nature of that life will depend on their relationship to you, saved or unsaved. So, Lord, we pray that you will guide and direct and that we will see and understand the importance of safeguarding our mind and be vigilant that, it's, that there are some things that we have said are okay that are just simply not okay. And we need to jettison them. We need to get rid of them. We need to stop practicing those things in our lives that are a hindrance to our spiritual growth. Their heads are bowed and their eyes are still closed.
to our home viewers as well. The invitation as well as the message applies to you. Child of God, this morning, you know that you have come to a saving faith in the person of Jesus Christ. You know that if you were to breathe your last breath this morning that you've got a home in heaven. You know that. But what is the quality? What, 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 if you were to get a report card on your, on, your, on your spiritual growth, what kind of report card do you think the Holy Spirit would give us? Will you get an A? Or will you get an F for failing? Maybe somewhere in between, I don't know. I know that an A is a good thing. And if we apply ourselves, we will have a good report. Even so, as Peter talked about, that we might have a better resurrection, as Paul spoke of in Hebrews, better resurrection. And you say, preacher, I don't want to be in this mediocre position any longer. I want to have a spiritual, vibrant walk with the Lord. Whether I'm around others or whether I'm in my prayer closet, I want it to be a vibrant relationship. Preacher, would you pray for me in closing this morning? I would covet your prayers for me as well. Preacher, pray for me today. Pray for me today. Folks, we fight so many things in the flesh. And they have to be dealt with and they have to be fought spiritually. Because ultimately that's what it's all about. Perhaps maybe you're saying, Preacher, I, I don't think I've ever come to a saving faith. I know others have prayed for me, or maybe this is the first time you've heard it, for our home viewers especially. You can make the same choices and the same decisions right there at home. Preacher, pray for me with these others. And if you do not know Jesus Christ, this would be a wonderful time to do that. Folks, uh, so many of God's servants really believe that we're, we're in the last days, seriously speaking. And the time may come when you're not going to have an opportunity. It's going to be too late. So don't put it off any longer. Today is the day. Receive Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. And I want you to understand you don't have to jump through hoops. No hoops, no loops. If we confess before the Lord and accept Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, He who has done all the work has promised he'd save you and redeem you from your sin. Anyone here this morning at home, you can make the same choice, same decision to accept Christ right there. Well, Father, we thank you again for this time that we could be gathered around your word. And Lord, church is so much more exciting when your word is alive and the Holy Spirit is present. And how we thank you for the warmth that is brought about no matter where we are when we're in a Bible-believing fundamental church. And so, Lord, we pray for each and every one of us that is here, and those especially who raise their hands. Lord, it is the desire of their heart that every day would be as, if not more spiritually, more spiritually exciting than the previous day, but even more so the next. And that, Lord, as a result of that, people will see the excitement and the enthusiasm. I, Lord, I have no idea what the countenance of Enoch looked like. But, Lord, the fellowship that he had with you and you with him brought him to the place where he was no more because he was translated. Lord, I, I can only imagine the aura about him. 
about his attitude, about his mindset, about how he walked and how he talked, was so influenced and overshadowed by the things of the Lord that you took him home early in a wonderful in an exciting way. And Lord, we're looking forward to the rapture. Lord, we're looking for that time when you're going to come and gather us to yourself as well. And Father, we ask and pray that you'll guide and direct as we go our separate ways for the afternoon and gather back here again this evening. Pray your anointing upon Brother Steve as he brings the message tonight. Now, Father, won't you dismiss us with thy blessings? We pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen.